Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. In 1959, a young preacher, for some reason he could not fully understand, developed an overwhelming burden to visit the distant continent of Australia. His name is Billy Graham. For three months, Billy Graham preached throughout Australia and New Zealand. We've never seen anything like it. A few stats. In Brisbane alone, the attendance was estimated at 291,000 people with 10,661 decisions for Christ out of a total population of 600,000 people at the time. Over, uh, Graham holds the attendance record at the MCG with 143,000 people. Just so we're clear, that is much larger than you can actually seat in the MCG. So that will never be broken, full stop. That will never be broken because of safety regulations. <laughs> the 50s, man, the 50s. Overall, it's estimated that over 130,000 Australians made decisions to follow Jesus over the duration of the 1959 Crusades. He actually came back two other times. Plenty of other people made decisions, but in 1959 alone, 130,000 Australians made decisions to follow Jesus. This is a long shot, but is there anyone in the room that made a decision to follow Jesus at a Billy Graham Crusade? It's possible, unlikely, but possible, okay. Okay. Yeah, most of you were not born. In fact, if we had two of you together, there's still a pretty good chance you're not, you weren't born <laughs> in that time. But it'd be pretty cool if somebody was. But I bet you anything, without much digging, you could find a parent or a grandparent who gave their life to Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade. Such was the impact one man had upon Australia. Uh, future Anglican Archbishop Philip Jensen, one of the greatest theologians we produce as a nation, he came to Christ in that time and many, many others. Roughly half the people in Australia heard Billy Graham preach. Think about that. Half. Either in person or via the airwaves or over the telephone lines. That's one of the ways people heard it. The message reached almost everyone. And by the time the 1966 census was recorded, 88.2% of Australians were Christian. But as we approach some brand new census data coming out soon, any other census nerds in the room who just love the stats? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Australia won't be a Christian nation. And it probably won't be that close. We'll be under 50% for the first time in our nation's history. I wonder what that means. Uh, the, the reality is that none of us are surprised by this. Whether you're somebody who calls Jesus your Lord and Saviour or not, you, you can't be stunned to hear that we won't be a Christian nation. I doubt you'd be surprised by that. Now, we are in the middle of a series called A New Pentecost. And it's from actually Melinda Dwight, who is the CEO of Alfred's spoke a prophetic word over our church earlier this year, which said a new Pentecost is coming. A new Pentecost is coming. And if you know Melinda, she doesn't just throw that stuff around. And so we just sat with that and said, okay, let's, let's teach through that. What would that look like for us to have a new Pentecost? Where on one hand, in 1959, 130,000 Australians made a decision to follow Jesus. That looks a lot like Pentecost. And on the other hand, we're about to get some census data that says we're not gonna be a Christian nation anymore. So where's the new Pentecost? How does it come? Here's the thing. We are in a moment with a spiritual hunger like 1959. 
We are in a moment where people are hungry for the presence of God. See, in this series, we've been in Acts 1.8. It's a framework we've been using. There's Billy behind me. If we can just chuck one Acts 1.8 up, um, Tegan, that'd be great. We're looking today at Jesus renewed Judea. But here's the, here's the verse. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today, we're looking at Judea. Now, if you think of Judea, you could probably think of it in terms of either South Australia or Australia, if you want to contextualize what that means today, right? So in that, it's a region of people who are all kind of roughly homogenous, like, you know, Australian or South Australia. I get, they're not all the same but that they have that shared in common. Now, Samaria, we heard last week from Pastor Ben Rowe from Streetlight, an amazing word about how we do mission to the marginalized. What does the new Pentecost look like through that lens? This week, it's Judea. So when you think of the people of Israel, God's people, all of them would say in the Old Testament, this thing called the Shema, they would stand up and recite as a family again, multiple times a day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a declaration. There is one God, and He is the God of Israel. And then they would do the second part. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Sound familiar? Jesus, right? Preached about it. The great commandment, He called it. You put these things two together, and that's the identity of Israel. Which means if you are a Hebrew person, if you are Jewish, you are a follower of Yahweh. It's It's not a choice thing, per se. I mean, it is, but it's also deeply rooted in the identity. Israel was a Jewish nation. You couldn't say, I'm a a Hebrew, but I'm not really into Yahweh. The only thing you would do is say you're into Yahweh and then do whatever you wanted, which also might sound familiar. So that's the reality of what the Jewish nation looked like. For us to process this framework of what does a Christian nation look like, we, we have to think beginning in that lens and then come to where we are today. And I'll get there in a minute. So to be a Hebrew was to be a worshiper of God. So these people that said we worship God, but then we actually don't do it. We're hypocrites. We pretend to do it and then we don't. They get taken into exile in Babylon. So suddenly they are strangers in a strange land. They are no longer in the homeland that they identify as God having given them as the promised land. But in that place, God makes their way and he restores them back into their land. They're able to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the city walls under the leadership of Nehemiah, but not as a sovereign nation. Under the leadership of Babylon, they are exiles, but they are still the people of God. How do we worship as the people of God as exiles? That's where we are today. We are the people of God but we're exiles, we're, we're out of the, the land of God. We are somewhere trying to make a way, make a space for ourselves here, that's us. See, here's the thing, Australia isn't meant to be a Christian nation per se. You can argue with me about that later. We're meant to be a nation of Christians. We're not meant to be this traditionalist, ritualistic nation where everything is formed in one way because people will just try and find ways to break down those walls anyway. We are meant to be a nation filled with people who are filled with the Spirit of God and who transform our nation through our acts of service and the way we share our lives, share our faith. That's the vision for this nation. In fact, it's not for the nation, it's for all creation to renew, to restore and to redeem all of God's good creation back to what God's intention was. The end result of Christianity is not leaving earth to go to heaven. It's that heaven would come down to earth in full. That's what happens when Jesus comes back. That's all another sin. So what does this mean for us? It means that everybody you meet is a child of God. And your job is not to decide who's going to end up following Jesus and who isn't, but to share your faith 
faithfully with all of them and let them put it back in their hands. It's always been in our hands. Don't trust the Calvinists. You've got to have a little Armenianism. You've got to, if you know, you know. That you got, there's that last part where you decide yes or no. God has made it all the way to you. Is it yes or no? Now, your job is not to say the yes or the no for them. But for us in 21st century Australia, if you're someone in the room who considers yourself a follower of Jesus, quite often we will make the no for them. Do you know when we make it? In our homes, in our hearts, before we even leave the house. Ah, should I share my faith? Ah, probably not. I don't think they want it. Who? Doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's not important. They don't don't want it. And, and, And we get into this struggle, right? I'm joking, but as followers of Jesus, we go, this is very important. It has transformed my life. People should know about it, but I am afraid. I'm afraid of what people will think of me if I share something that is important and they reject it. I'm afraid that what they, what they are rejecting, that it's all on me, there's a lot of pressure. And then I'm afraid of my competence, that I'm not any good at doing this. Sound familiar to anybody? There's a lot of fear involved in this. Let me calm everything down. It doesn't have to be this scary. So what I want to do today is look a bit at how Paul did it, not too much, because Paul is Paul and we're not, and then give you a framework, a practical framework that you're going to practice in the room to actually learn how to share your faith. Sound good? Good. All right. Acts 17. Paul in Athens. We're praying for revival and renewal, so we turn to the book of Acts. My goodness, I love this passage. I love it so much bit of context. It's going to be up, the scripture is going to be up behind you, but a bit of context. So Paul is traveling around the Mediterranean. He has a mission to reach non, Paul is Jewish, but his mission is to reach non-Jewish people with the message of Jesus. And so he does this thing where he's got this pattern that I'll go into in a second, and he's going around the Mediterranean doing this. So he goes into Thessalonica and he shares the gospel doing this, and he causes a riot, and they kick him, like they have to rush him out of the city in a hurry before he, gets, before he gets killed. Instead, they place the blame on somebody called Jason. And for many of you, this is the first time you've heard that there's a Jason in the Bible. So well done. <laughs> Just doesn't sound like a Bible name, does it? Jason. No shots at any Jasons here. Great name. Just not a name I associate with the Bible. Anyway, write that down. Um, so he goes from Thessalonica into Berea, and the, the scriptures who were written by Luke wrote the book of Acts, like he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, you said, said, wrote that the Bereans were of much nobler character, basically because they didn't stone us to death. <laughs> they received the Gospel. But then the Thessalonicans came from Thessalonica to Berea to get rid of Paul again. This is how much Paul annoyed people. I feel better about this every time I'm sharing my faith. I'm like, no matter how bad it goes, it's not going to go like Paul in Thessalonica and Berea bad. Like, it's not going to get that bad. But then he gets to Athens, and they basically sent him on ahead. Like, it's going so badly, they're like, we do not have time to get everyone out, but you have to go because you're going to get killed and you're going to get us killed. So they send him on to Athens, and he's basically gone there ahead. He's waiting for the rest of his team to come and, and minister with him. Billy Graham came, and he came with the team. Paul did ministry the same way. So he's wandering around Athens. He's wandering around. He's having a look. He's in one of the foremost cities in the world, one of the intellectual, philosophical cities in the world, and he becomes distressed. And this is what the Scriptures say in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his friends, co-workers in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Why was Paul deeply distressed by the idols he saw? He was distressed because idols provide an alternate pathway and pattern for worship. They take the object of our hearts away from God's. God, God rather, and place them on other gods. Now, that's offensive to God and it's destructive to us. Here's why. 
It's us telling God that he is insufficient for our needs. But it's then us placing a burden of Godhood, like be everything I need you to be, on an idol that cannot possibly fulfill that request, right? So by putting it there, you are being crushed. It's destructive for you. And by taking it away from God, it is offensive to God. So this isn't just about like one thing, like God's angry. That's not how God operates. God in love is going, I know what the best vision and plan is for your life. I'm inviting you to participate in it. And when we put our, our hopes and dreams on something that isn't God, it begins to crush us. Some common idols in our city, in our contemporary Australian nation, include our family, our career, our independence, our sexual expression, our superannuation, our travel plans, and of course, relationships. These are the idols of our heart. Do the idols of our city grieve you the way they grieve Paul? Because remember, Paul wasn't grieved because he's like, I'm so angry. He was grieved because he saw what these were doing to the people who worshipped them. Paul's heart was grieved from love. So he goes on. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, just so we're clear, the Jews and those who worship God. So Jewish followers of Yahweh and non-Jewish followers who have become converts of Yahweh. Clear? Like if an Australian had become a Jewish person. Yeah? Like that. And in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there, aka anybody. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. They were schools of philosophy. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? I've heard that one. So others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul does what he always does. He goes to the synagogue. I'm a Jewish person. I follow Yahweh. You're a Jewish person. Let's talk about it because I understand Yahweh in a way I believe is fuller and more complete than you do. Let me help you. Okay, how does that go? All right, now the other people. You believe in Yahweh, but you're not Jewish, so you're sort of separate, aren't you? I've got good news for you, Jesus. And they, Okay, great. We'll see how that goes. Okay, marketplace. Who wants in? Let's go. Bang, 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 bang. So that's kind of how Paul operated. He starts on common ground. Let me encourage you. If you want to learn to share your faith, just start on common ground. Don't overthink it. Don't go right into the marketplace. And in fact, the people who do that, um, I would say, don't go very well. I would say they're not super successful. I would say they're not well-liked, but that's a sermon for another day. The local philosophers come and some of them insult him, and that's the reality. Not everyone will like the gospel. Our job is not to decide who won't like it, but to present it to them so that they will know what it actually is that they're rejecting if they choose to reject it. But others recognize that Paul is a teacher. He's sharing about a different God. So the Greeks loved God's plural. We are in a position like that. There are a lot of people in our world that believe in the universe, right? Or, or, or in something, something. They don't want to put a, a language on it, or they're, um, maybe you're in here and you're, you're, you're spiritual in that way, or you believe in a connection to the earth, and there's, there's a sense of connection in that way. That, I would say, as a follower of Jesus, is God trying to reveal himself to you through the earth, and that part of what you're seeing there is something bigger. If you're looking up to the universe, it's like the same thing in reverse. God is revealing himself through his greatness and through his smallness and inviting you into a personal relationship. So we are in a space like that. The language we use, oh, the football gods weren't with my team today. As a North Melbourne fan, I use that a lot. <laughs> if I'll, I'll use anything at this point. But what was he saying specifically? The resurrection of Jesus. 
the good news. When, if he said, I can only work, preach about one thing, I will preach about the resurrection of Jesus as fast as I can and as sharp as I can because the most important thing is the resurrection. Without the physical resurrection of Jesus, it all falls down. Paul preached on that. This is not a sermon about the resurrection. So let me continue. They took him, verse 19, and brought him to the Areopagus and said, which means Mars Hill, it's no relation, and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? Because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Spiritually curious, go and ask them questions because they only want to know what's trending right now. Sound familiar? What is new is not necessarily better. They're inviting Paul to give them something new because they want to be distracted from the deep things of life by talking about it on a surface level. Very social media. And so Paul comes instead and uses the opportunity to preach some truth. This is what Paul says. He stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I've even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, the unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by human hands. And Paul sums it up that way. And then he goes on and preaches a, a powerful message about the resurrection and how you can know the unknown God because Paul was a genius. Now, we might not be geniuses here. Some of you are. I won't name you. I'll let you. You can display yourselves. When he said this, though, I perceive you are very religious. All he was doing was looking for the common ground. He's saying, oh, there's a hunger here. There's a spiritual curiosity. He could have come in. Just hear this. He could have come in and go, I see you're all worshipping false gods. And he wouldn't have been wrong. But he doesn't. He comes in and he says, oh, I see this spiritual hunger in you. And I want to affirm that. There is something in you that is hungering towards God. But I've got to tell you, can I, can I tell you about the God I worship who is in fact bigger then all the gods you worship, you're, you're trying to worship part of God. Let me tell you the whole thing. This is the story. He uses common ground to invite him in rather than using difference to repress and, and make them feel othered. Does that make sense? This is so important. I mean, it's obvious, right? Who likes feeling marginalized? Nobody. But this is what we do sometimes. So for us, I would say this. There's a huge proportion of people pursuing spirituality. A report last year from McCrindle said basically half of Gen Zs would come to church if invited by a family member or friend. Almost half. Wow. That's a lot. Yet, we don't do it. And those people also said, by the way, it doesn't really matter if it's online or in person. I'd be just as likely to come. And for Gen Ys, it's closer to 40%, but similar. Still similar. This generation is open to new experiences, and uh, they are open to the spiritual. They're rejecting materialism in favor of experiences. That's who Paul was preaching to. And people came to faith in Christ when he did. So what are we doing? They're like young Aussies in 2022, aren't they? So, so how can we do this? Because he is Paul and we are not. We get it. We read the Bible. And if you've read it through before, there are verses that say things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you might go, oh, Paul, there's a fair gap between you and Christ. But it feels like there's a pretty big gap between me and you as well. So I don't know how to do that. Okay, I'm going to walk you through this right now. If you're a believer, if you're someone who believes in Jesus, this will give you a tool to help share your faith with somebody else. If you are not somebody here who believes in Jesus, I'm so excited 
because this is going to give you a tool to read the Bible for yourself. And you don't have to do it, of course. Like, I'd encourage you to today because it'll look awkward when you refuse. But when you get home, if the Bible is something you've always wanted to read but you've always found it really insurmountable and awkward, we get that. It, it is. It's not a book that's meant to be read from front to back, for starters. So it can feel really insurmountable for some people. So I hope that this tool will help you in company to read the Bible together. All right, can I jump into it? Yes. Okay, it's called the Discovery Bible Method. <laughs> Discovery Bible Method. Some of you have read it before. Some of you have used it before. Um, but we're not all doing it yet, so I'm going to keep talking about it. The Discovery Bible Method is a powerful and beautiful technique to share your faith with other people. You begin by searching for a person of peace. This is the super fast-forward version, okay? A person of peace is somebody who likes you, who listens to you, and serves you. So it could be somebody at a cafe who, who works there and serves you. Generally speaking, it's not somebody who says that would be 450, please. Well, 550 these days. But, but somebody, that was an inflation joke because we're all suffering under the oppressive weight of increased costs. But... Good one. Um, <laughs> the uh, woo, impressive costs. Yeah, lift my spirits. The, but it could be someone like that, but more likely that person goes above and beyond. They might know your name at the very least. They might, they might appear really warm when you walk in. You know the difference between somebody who's just doing their job and somebody whose eyes light up when they see you. Hey, my regular. Like, there's a difference. Or maybe it's a close friend or a family member. So they like you, they listen to you, and they serve you. So if somebody ticks all three of those boxes, pray. Take it to the Lord before you do anything and just pray and go, God, is this right? Because hopefully you know lots of people that don't know Jesus yet. And so pray about it. And then if you feel like there's a bit of affirmation or you don't feel like there's a big no, go for it. And when you do, this is what you do. You, you are just doing A, B, C. You're asking them what happened last time. Obviously, you don't do that the first time. Then you read the Bible together. That's the B. And then you commit to doing an action that you can ask them about next time. So before we get into this, just take 30 seconds. Who is somebody who could be a person of peace for you? Somebody who likes you, listens to you, serves you, and uh, just because a friend of mine once made this mistake is not yet a Christian. They like you, they listen to you, and they serve you. Just take a moment. See if you can fix them just in your mind. Just so you're thinking about them as we enter this process. Okay. Now here's what makes this super easy. You don't bring any knowledge into this. You don't have to know anything in order to do the Discovery Bible Method. All you have to do is show up with a Bible. If you don't currently have a Bible, can I encourage you, if you go online, there's an app called the YouVersion Bible app. It is free. You can get it right now because we're about to do this. So the YouVersion Bible app, if you do not have a phone or you do not have a smartphone, we can get you a hard copy Bible to use. But here is how we do it. This is all about building relationship. What I love about how I've done this is I've started this to share faith and I've ended it with somebody who's a much dearer friend than I began with. It's beautiful. And we're on that journey together. So here's how we do it. Okay, you start by reading the passage out loud once to each other. Then you retell it from memory. You shut your Bible and go, okay. Uh, and we're about to do Acts 17. So you retell it from memory. Okay, so Paul's in Athens. He's distressed at the idols. You, you go like that. Then you silently read it again after you've done that together. And then you silently pray for God to speak to you through the passage. And then you stop and ask a couple of really basic questions. Something like this. These are examples. You don't have to use these exact ones. What do you see in the passage? Anyone can answer that. What do you think this says about God? Don't tell them they're wrong if you disagree. Just ask them. 
What does this say about God? The whole point of this is you come to it even. So you can be someone with a PhD in theology and somebody who's you know, barely literate, and you can come to this together. Primary school students do this. Like they, I don't mean they could. I mean they do. I know churches where primary school students read scripture with each other using the Discovery Bible Method and lead their friends to faith. Silently pray for God, stop and ask those questions, and then share with each other what you saw and say, what are you going to do about that or who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell is better, but you might not be there. You might need to say, what am I going to do about it? And so maybe God will just prompt you differently. Okay? So this is going to be up there. That's not going anywhere. What I'd like us to do now is stand up and move and be with somebody who you're not related to or dating. Yeah, that'll do. We'll just keep those ones. <laughs> Preferably a new person. But just quickly move around. Just pairs. Three is okay if you need to. Do not have more than three. You can't have more than three or it won't work properly. Three at the most. Two is better. Give you 30 seconds or so. Say hello. Introduce yourself. You should tell them if you're the geniuses I was talking about before. That would be helpful. <laughs> yes, that's me. I was the genius Mike was referring to. That's right. Here it is. The passage is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 24. Which, if you just flick it next, there you go. We'll bring the questions back, but just so you can look it up and get it right. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 24. New Pentecost, man, it comes practically as well. And okay, so that's pretty simple. That's how you can share your faith with somebody using the Bible without bringing any extra knowledge. Just saying, hey, here's my Bible. Do you know how you do it? You go, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I'm wondering if you'd be interested. And then you just stay quiet for a minute. Because if, if you give people a chance, they might just hang themselves with enough rope. And they'll go, oh, the Bible, I don't, I don't know. But if they're a person of peace, they'll kind of talk themselves back around and be like, oh, well, yeah, why not? No, I don't, mm, mate, yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah this is, they kinda, they'll kind of get there in the end, if they're a person of peace. And if they're not, they'll say no, and they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting one moment, one opportunity. That's all. It's not about you, and it's not even about God. They're just rejecting that moment. But by you offering and asking them, you've invited them to have that moment. You haven't decided for them. You've just invited them. The same way that God has invited us into relationship with him. Now, we are not Paul in Athens. We're just doing our best. But I, I want us to lean into this because for a new Pentecost, we want to have practical tools. But more than anything, do you know what we need for a new Pentecost? A new wave of the Holy Spirit. A new openness and a new sense of the presence of God that the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us. So what I want to do is start by praying for our person of peace. And if you're not the praying type, that's okay. Maybe you can just be, uh, be staying, staying quiet and just thinking about the ways you'd like God to speak to you. Because chances are if you're here and you're not a believer at the moment, you'd like God to speak to you. You're, you're at least asking a question there. So why don't we do that now? If you're here... And you are, a person of, you are a believer. You've got this person of peace that we talked about. They like you. They listen to you. They serve you. And you've got them in your mind. You talked about them before. We're just going to pray for that person. Just think about them in your mind. Let's close your eyes. There's nothing, there's nothing crazy about this. You're just visualizing them as a, as a means to remind you to pray for them. It's like how sometimes the cross helps us remember what Jesus has done for us. It doesn't do anything on its own. 
Lord, we just lift these people to you. We love them. They are important to us and they're even more important to you. So God, we lift them to you now. We ask that they would have an encounter with Jesus. It doesn't have to be through us, God. We just want them to know you. And Lord, we lift this person to you in our mind and we just pray a blessing over them like we prayed over Bellamy before, a blessing over their life. And we pray that they would know you and we pray that you would give us the courage to ask them to read the Bible with us and to begin a habit, a pattern of doing that. We bless you, Lord, and we bless them. Would you fall upon them now in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.